This is Culture Communication and Brand Moments with Shelby Joe Long, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. Culture Communication and Brand Moments is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Shelby Joe Long. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Genius Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Shelby Joe Long, your host. I love to use this podcast to talk to fellow genius entrepreneurs about their journey and how they transform their passion and their genius and expertise into an income stream to inspire you to think about your genius a little bit differently. Maybe there's a place in the marketplace for you. I've had the opportunity to talk with Tina in in a few situations at my last speaking event and the TEDx event in uh, Delaware. And I'm excited to get to know a little bit more about her business. I imagine there's quite a bit of synergy in what we do. So this is Tina Greenbaum with Mastering Under Pressure. So Tina, welcome to the interview today. I'm so Thank happy you. to have you. Thank you, Shelby. I'm so happy to be here. And I love your topic. <laughs> oh, well, great. Look, I'm excited to get into that. So let's let's hear a little bit about your business and what you do. Can you give us a big overview of what your business is all about? I sure can. So the business is called Mastery Under Pressure, and it has a lot of several iterations. I am by training a clinical social worker. So I'm a psychotherapist by training. And if anybody knows about the helper professions, we're not the best business people in the world. We're very big givers. And I learned really early on that my traditional psychotherapy training was not completely adequate for the kind of work that I was doing and wanting to help people. And at the same time, I wasn't cut out, honestly, to work 40 hours a week, work at night, work on weekends, raise a family and be burned out by a profession, which is very easily to get burned out. So my first job. Uh, Such high, what do they call that? Emotional labor? Like it's, it's yeah, something so hard. Passion fatigue. Is actually that's, a, that's a great phrase for it. Yeah, that's great. Really, really what it is. And so my first job, well, being a, being a social worker, being any kind of helper professional in this particular field, you need hours to accumulate in order to get your license. You need to take, take an exam, but you basically need, um, I think we needed 1800 hours of supervised work. So you couldn't go out on your own until you passed the test and had this number of hours. So the fastest way to get this number of hours was to work full time. And so my first job was working on an eating disorders unit at the Washington Hospital Center in Washington, DC, where nobody had ever treated eating disorders before. And that's where I kind of discovered that, wait, and this is in my TEDx talk, you know, mm -hmm. I, I wanna be really, really helpful, but I don't really have the tools to be as effective as I would like. So, but at the same time, I had, three kids, I think at, the, at that time, or yeah, one was very, very small. And two of them were playing sports. And my job was working one or two evenings a week and on a, on a Saturday, not for me. I don't work well at night. I always tell people, you don't want to pay me at night. 
Right. <laughs> I'll get up really early in the morning. You want to meet me at 7 a.m. I'm happy to do that, but don't ask me to work after six um, because I'm not here. My brain is not here. And so, and definitely not on Saturdays. You know, right. <laughs> I'm giving up the time of being with my family. So while I was going through this process, I was already calculating what do I need to do in order to be able to get out and to work on my own? Because I have a, a degree in teaching, um, special ed, elementary ed. I started out in that. I love teach. I thought I loved teaching. I hated being in the classroom. I mean, in, really? in elementary school classroom, teaching subjects that I had no interest in, science, math, you know, I was terrible at making bulletin boards. I don't have that level of creativity of that artistic creativity. And I was just like, but there was a psychologist and a social worker that would come in and take the kids out for because it was special ed. And then they were working with the families and the, they were working with psychology. And I said, hmm, I think I actually have the wrong degree. And that got me going back to school for my MSW because that was the quickest way that I could actually figure out how to be in my own private practice because that's what I wanted to do. So I worked for the, I got my 1800 hours, but I was also watching other people, how they exited working full-time with an agency. So there was the woman who was the director of the agency in the hospital also had an outpatient clinic and she was a crazy woman. I mean, she was really a, actually a narcissistic personality that we, we learned later on, but she was an excellent businesswoman. And she had a partner, she created this outpatient clinic so that when the, the clients would leave, the patients would leave the hospital, oh, they needed to be in outpatient therapy. Where would they go? They would go right into her clinic. Okay. So I went, to, she invited me to work for her and she paid me once a month. She was taking, it was like a 60, 40 split. I think I was getting 60, but it wasn't a very, and, and if I miss, if one client came in the day after the first of the month, I wouldn't get paid till the next month. Ugh. Mind you, I was, you know, my, my ex-husband was an entrepreneur, so he was all over the place. And uh, I was raising three kids. So there was always this pressure around money. Always, always, always. And so I figured it out. I did the calculations. I needed seven hours of my own clients in order to be able to make enough money to be able to leave her and to go out on my own. And that's what I did. I rented an office. Actually, it was down the hall. She wasn't very happy with me. I'm sure. Attention. But what she did and broke my contract and locked the doors and, and, and did terrible things. But the truth was um, I rented this place for seven hours a week and she was terrible with clients. So it would just, she'd say, Tina, could you take over my session for this one? Could you take over my, so I ended up with all her clients and ultimately I ended up and I left. So I had the seven hours and I was making just enough money to pay the rent. And then I said, well, maybe if I got my own office and I only want to work 20 hours a week, a month, a week, that was it. That was my max. But I could sublet my office to other clinicians. Sure. And, that's, and that's what I did. I moved out of that space. I moved into a beautiful building, a beautiful, beautiful office. I worked 20 hours a week and I rented 
out the rest of the space to two other clinicians. So I had no rent to pay. That's great. For years. And it was just a great, great, great model. And it was great because I could make my own hours. I could raise my yeah. kids. Um, if I, if they had something and it was a soccer game or it was a this or that, I could, you know, kind of change, you know, I can't meet you for here, but can you do this? And, and then I also had to learn Shelby, all the lessons about being um, in my own business and, you know, putting limits on cancellations, how frequently, because if I would make, let's say what's today, today's a Thursday, right? So by the end, by Friday, I would have my week full out scheduled for the following week. So if somebody called me like the day before, I couldn't fill that hour. So I had to, how how would I protect myself? Well, then I had a policy that, you know, if you, if you cancel a week in advance and nobody did that, but I did that. (laughs) If you cancel a week in advance, then um, you don't have to pay for the session. But if it's 20, 24 to 48 hours or somewhere in the week. If we, if I can fit you in in another hour, I will do that. But if I can't, you have to pay. And so I, a lot of hard lessons in the beginning because I was so hungry for money. Sure. So desperate that you had, then I poured it onto one of my clients, you know, I, with this policy that was not really clearly in pay, place and I lost her as a client. And so I, then I made another policy for myself that I would never really discuss money unless it was in a session because what i recognized was that it frequently had was a therapeutic issue people's issues around money including would come out in the session so once i got clear of me then i could be it's so interesting that your work with other people and discussing that topic with other people it makes sense, but from the outside, it's like you were experiencing this therapy while you were conducting therapy, and I think that's a uh, that's something that's pretty awesome. I, a, a teacher too, right? Like you, I'm also a teacher, but when you, you know, they always stay say like stay at least two steps ahead of your class. You might not know exactly what you're teaching, but if you have an understanding of it, you can teach it. And so it's just interesting to think about that. And that's not to say that's the only way that you teach, but um, just interesting that that. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> very in and in. So, so that's, how started, that's how I started the business. And then the next piece of it was every time I would get through a period of my life that was difficult, I would learn from it. Same thing. You know, I always say I'm the guinea pig. I would process something and how would I process it? Well, I'm just a person just like everybody else. So if this is something that typically happened to me, it would typically happen to other people. And then how could I take my experience and what I learned from it to then teach other people? Because I am really a teacher at heart. Mm -hmm. And I tell people that all the time. You know, you can call me this, you can call me that, but I'm really a teacher at heart. I teach skills. And and that's that's the way this business developed because I recognized that people, you know, in traditional therapy, you could talk about your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, you could tell the whole story, but okay, so now (laughs) what are we going to do with this information? Right. How are you going to implement it into new behaviors? And how are you going to actually change? Because this was my whole career, really. 
every course that I took, everything that I wanted to learn was how do I help you change at a fundamental level? Because the body gets triggered before the mind. And so if the body gets triggered, I don't have time to think about it. How do I, how do I get there to that part that gets triggered? And so that's really been my whole career. And then I work, I lived in New York, I lived in DC. So I worked a lot with lawyers who had to really be at their best litigators and people that were you know kind of in, in court and handling clients and negotiating and and you know I like to speak so how do I how did I learn how to do that you know what were the skills that I needed to sure. be able to get on stage so that I don't have stage fright how do, how do, how do I so I I'm just a curious person how do, yeah. how do I do that how do I do that and once I figure out how I would do it then and then there's other people with different modalities and they might learn differently and and so on but it would give me a clue well if i did it you know then if i could do it you could do it and and then i started working with athletes my husband teaches tennis and that's how mastering under pressure got started because it started out as tennis to the max he went out oh, to yeah, and he was having way more fun than I was. I started working on a a course on you're how- you're working on the tough stuff and he gets to teach the fun stuff. We're getting into the mental and the mental and blocks of performance and all of those things. And he gets to teach a skill. So I mean, yeah. But they're they're again very yin and yang. You need both of them to be able to be a high performer. And so one day he was teaching, he was talking to one of his, his students that was going out there for a big competition. And he said, you got to go out there. You got to be confident. You got to be aggressive. I said, great. You're telling him all the right things. He just doesn't have a clue how to do it. But I know how to teach him how to do it. Yeah. And that's how it started. Tennis to the max. And then people asked me, could you take it into your, into businesses? So I just changed the title and, you know, tennis to the max became mastering under pressure. Because it's the, the principles and the method doesn't change, but just the the where you are changes. So it's very similar. I think the same. I've been teaching public speaking for ever for over twenty years, and people speaking in front of the audience. So so yes, that anxiety. There's always that anxiety, and the anxiety may have different sources, but it manifests the same. It looks, you know, the symptoms are very similar in people but the sources of it might be different. I like to say that there's only so many themes in the universe, but there's an infinite unique variations of them, right? Yeah. The same thing, yes, yeah. So I think it's super interesting how you took your core, kind of your core genius about you working with people and getting, you know, working with people in the, in the therapy side, which is very one-on-one and discovery of foundations and, and how you made that more of a, here's how you deal with it. Here's a proactive piece. And now that's the core of your business about your giving advice in a different way. So it's just. Yes. And, it, and it's much more efficient. One-on-one is very intimate and, and, and gr- really great. And at the same time, it's just one-on-one. So mm-hmm. when we look about how many people need help, you know, that that's when I and then when I when I got divorced, which was um, actually 20 years ago already, I started to look at I knew I needed to scale my business. Otherwise, I could never retire. Right. And that's been quite the journey. Um, sure. Because what 
all those places that I said that I, I lived, I started a new private practice. This was before anybody could take anybody on, on the internet. Right? Yep. So from DC to New Hampshire, I had to close that office and then I had to open another one. And then I had to close that practice and open another one. And so I opened five private practices. So I know how to do that really well. And I can teach people how to do that. The scaling part of how to scale myself, that's been the journey, you know? Yeah. That is, that is a journey. And that's, that's a challenge that I think a lot of us run into because we like the one-on-one, but moving and it's, and I'm a communication person. So I can just do all why we're processing. When you go from one-on-one to working with one-to-many, you go from like such a intimate and conversation that's very personal and you involve a lot of emotion to speaking to a lot of people. It's a different way of communicating. So we have to train ourselves to move that way. That's transitioning our our genius from the one-on-one audience to the one-to-many audiences. It's challenging. But what I also learned about myself um, as I was going through all my trainings and different experiences, I love the group work. Mm. I love the group dynamics. And I'm very intuitive and my brain just makes the connections for me. You know, this one's talking about this, this one's talking about that, this one's talking, and it seems like all this disparate information, but I can pick the underlying pieces, you know, and and I love that. That probably is my, that and speaking, which is different, again, when you're looking at an audience, but when my very first speech that I ever did on that eating disorder unit, I remember there were about 200 people in the room and I was really nervous. And a really good friend to me said to me, just look at me, mm-hmm. just look at me, you know? And I started out looking at her, which is what I did in my TEDx talk. I started out looking at my husband. I said, I don't need to look at you. <laughs> I'm kind of, I've learned this thing well enough. Yeah. <laughs> that I could really kind of spread my, you know, spread my eyes and, and so on. But um, so, yeah. Do you, do you use group work in your work now? Because scaling. Well, I used to do a lot of group therapy. Um, they're very hard to get to get to, to make happen. Groups. Yeah. Got this one and this one. But really, I'm more now into like working with companies like a team of people. So mm-hmm. I did something for uh, UC Davis for, for the, one of their departments. And it was having, it was on having difficult conversations. And I had a whole kind of, um, you know, thing planned, but what was going on was not what I had planned. Sure. And so I had to be able to shift and pick up really what really was going on and um, have them talk about things that they never talked about. You're I, a true teacher. That's yeah. your, that's your gift. That's a, what many, one of your many gifts, but that's a, you know, you talk about the group. I, I love groups. And I love groups that are engaged all under the same vision because those ideas just build upon each other and you have such, that's why it's so good to be a part of business networking groups that are so lively because your business ideas just build upon each other. And then, oh, here's a connection and here's a connection and here's a way you can do it. And I've done that before. And I think you solve problems faster and then you get a bigger bang for it because you, you might solve multiple problems, not just one. So I think you're working outside of, you know, you only know what you know. Exactly. You only know what you know, you know? And so having these wonderful, you know, smart, intelligent people kind of, did you ever think of this? Did you ever think of it? 
no, I never did. <laughs> so do you, yeah. do you find that, you know, you've worked with high performers and this is, you, you talk about mastering under mastery under pressure. Do you find that it's the mindset that is the, the biggest hurdle to go over when it comes to your performance? Do you find so, that? I think it? it's not, I think it's one of them. It's not the only one, not the only one yeah. way that I, in my program, I teach focus, relaxation. So we're starting with the body. So remember I said the body gets triggered before the mind. So how do I calm my body down that my mind is clear enough to think? Because as we know, when we get anxious and you know we tighten up, all the blood actually goes to the heart, goes away from the brain, gets us ready to be able to run and flee, and we can't think. Right. And that's the thing that Fight or flight. They, they don't really kind of get that uh, the, the path is not necessarily trying to think it more because that's not where the issue is. It's really kind of that uh, activating reticular system that, that needs to be calmed down. And we do know I've got a lot of training in trauma and trauma work. And so there is definitely the brut, <laughs> the head, the heart and, and the gut connection. And mm -hmm. so I teach people first how to calm down, how to create. And it can't, you know, everybody sort of, I like, I like to say, Shelby, that um, the stuff that I teach is common knowledge, but not necessarily common practice. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, that's. And so everybody knows when you're anxious, yeah, take a breath. So a lot of times people take, well, that'll get you to hyperventilate. <laughs> you right, know? you're not filling your lungs, yeah. <laughs> you're, not, you're not breathing from way down in your air. So how do you do that, right? And then um, I teach different forms of meditation. Some people like this, some people like that, some people are auditory, some are, but basically it's learning to understand that your breath is the only voluntary mechanism we have that can change our nervous system. Hmm. Otherwise everything is automatic, right? So if I'm starting to feel nervous and anxious, I have to be practice at this breath so that I can build, I, I talk a lot about building your nervous system's capacity for stress. So let's just say that this is your nervous system's called a window of tolerance is what they call it, right? As long as the stress is in this level, I'm good. But as soon as the stress hits my own nervous system's tolerance for stress, we go into the stress response. And with that comes all that autonomy. We go from this parasympathetic nervous system to the sympathetic nervous system. And that whole system goes into gear. All the steroids go running through your brain and, and, and cortisol and you can't think. Right. So, so now here we have this capacity that is so much greater. It's like, it's just another problem. And, 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 and working a lot with leaders. Sure. They have to be focused yeah I have to be able to control that for sure right. and because we pick up I played tennis the other day with a woman her energy was so frenetic and again we're sponges you know and I'm trained to kind of really kind of separate my energy from somebody else's and this woman she got to me I mean she did I, I was just like it was just constant constant talk and this and that and, and I couldn't wait to get away from her and so she had no control whatsoever. And it's very catching, right? So again, I'm aware, I'm, a, I'm very yeah. 
heir of my system. But if you're not, and you take it personally, you know, and you've got a leader that's short tempered because they're, the stress is too big for them and, 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 and then it just filters all the way down. So I believe our job as leaders, as people, as parents is to learn how to manage the system. So it starts out in the body. And then I like to call it, instead of positive thinking, I call it productive thinking. Do my thoughts produce something useful for me? So we start with the concept of mindfulness. What's mindfulness? It's an ancient practice that has been thrown around like, but mindfulness is really being aware in the present moment without judgment. So as soon as we get into the judgment, oh God, that was really stupid. Or, you know, I'm really dumb. Somebody said to me yesterday, I really, you know, I, I say these dumb things. I said, no, you're, you may say, you're not dumb. You say things without awareness maybe, and you're not yeah. reading the situation. But you're not dumb. Kind of recalibrating how they think about it, being for sure. Powerful and to train yourself. So this sounds this sounds so this is all a one-on-one thing too, but you have it in a different form. Is it in a digital program too or a book? Where could where where do you have all this? It's everywhere. Method (laughs) everywhere. Great. It's everywhere. So mastery under pressure is the book. Yeah. Uh, program is called mastery under pressure it's online um and it's available and and then i've got one on why positive thinking is highly actually i that one's not published yet but why positive thinking is highly overrated but i do have one that is um how to be a confident negotiator that's ready you know that's uh, that's on my platform same thing i'm not going to teach i don't teach you all the skills about negotiation i just teach you about how to control this emotional person so that when you're negotiating you look calm and cool and collected even though inside you may not feel that way um and you've got all kinds of questions but it's really it's really cool i mean it's good stuff and then i've got another one called mastery overeating because i used to work with a lot of people with eating sure. that's where i developed a lot of this and that's a great program um how to really kind of look at the connection between emotions and the addiction, whatever the addiction is, actually, whether it's food or alcohol or drugs or work or, because all addictions are anxiety-based and they're mm-hmm. always about feelings that we don't want to feel. So interesting. Right. I learned so much. I need to read your book, I need to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sure to include your uh, LinkedIn, uh, your LinkedIn profile and your, um, your website in the, Notes. I've got a YouTube channel that has just lots of little bits and pieces of a lot of the podcasts that I've been on and the talks. And then I also have a, a podcast called Under the Hood, where uh, from my TEDx talk, the whole premise was that patterns that are created in childhood impact us as grownups. And so I've been interviewing leaders and asking those kinds of questions. What are the patterns that brought you to your success? And what are the patterns that you really had to take a look at and um, that maybe caused you some problems and that you have overcome. So lots of places to learn a lot of this. Yeah. I'm excited to check that out too. That's really interesting. Uh, There's, we'll have to chat about some synergy between both of our books because I think there's, I, I know there is some, so just everything you're talking about. So habits, rituals, discipline, you know, 
all of those things tie together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Put it all together and then you've got, you have a, a roadmap and that, that's sure. going to help my talk. How many of you were given a, you know, a roadmap to, to life? <laughs> Not many. Not many. So once you have a map, then you start to see where you are. And this is the next thing I need to work on. This is the next thing. So Tina, what would you say is the biggest challenge of stepping out into entrepreneurship and create, you know, creating a business out of your genius? I know, I know there's some imposter syndrome and there's some like things that we could talk about, but, but I mean, you really have taken a couple of different shifts in your career. And what would you say is the biggest challenge of entering your genius into the marketplace? biggest challenge is fear fear you know really um fear that i'm not going to make enough money fear that nobody's going to you know my business is not going to take off fear um people are going to think i'm crazy um so the way that i think about it is we don't want you anybody jumping off a cliff i would not suggest to anybody that you quit your job today unless you have the income sure to support you for a good year or so. And so again, remember I started it by doing seven hours. I was working full time and then I pulled off seven hours in my life and I started to build from there. Once I hit the seven hours and I knew that I could afford the space and I could afford my bills, then I could let go of the full-time job. So I would recommend definitely doing it in increments because the most important thing, as we know, is food on the table, roof over your head. And when you're desperate for money, we make very poor decisions. Just like I told you that woman that I, you know, it's like, yeah. telling her, you got to pay for that session. You got to, no, never saw her right. again. Um, right. Because I'm desperate for money. And, and so we don't want, we, so, as they talk about in, in the organization that we're in, in Bellwether, it's dines and dollars. You know, make sure that you've got enough money to be able to support yourself so that you can go through the learning curve of, you know, of, of, of entrepreneurship. Number two, somebody said to me really only a couple of years ago, and I wish I had heard it a lot earlier. He said, the difference between a solopreneur and a founder is a founder has a team. Oh, that's great. Like, right? that's, that's great. Yeah. It's, it's so true. So true. You know, yeah. men get all the time, women, we don't, we don't even think that way. A lot of times we just kind of like, Oh, I got to do it on my own. I got to learn how to do this. I got to learn how to do that. I, you know, and again, when I started, it was before. So the websites and social media, once the social media hit and, and the, it became exponential in terms of trying to build this business that's where it, it became so complicated um so that's another one get together a team whatever you can afford and whatever you can't afford trade right I traded a lot a lot a lot of my services people really really wanted my help and i really wanted theirs and we worked it out as an even fair exchange and um it was win-win all the way around so remember that you do have a skill whatever that skill is, and don't be afraid to offer it. Um, and, and again, in Bellwether, they talk a lot about, you know, having a whole system of doing it and hiring some, you know, getting somebody for a couple months 
books and giving them an opportunity and, and so on and so forth. But so that's um, another thing, um, get a coach, but get a coach who is a proven coach in your field and that you have at least three recommendations of somebody that has worked with that person and can vouch for them. See, I'm giving you all the mistakes that I made. <laughs> well, that's the lessons that we get to with, uh, with our listeners because it that it, it's true. It's you don't need to do it alone, and and find people that you trust. I think that's that's a challenge too because with that des you talk about that desperation for money and that story. Yes, when you're desperate for money, it's you're gonna just push it away. But also when you're desperate for help and you're desperate then you're going to jump into a business relationship that might not be the best. So it's very much about taking a breath and approaching it. And the thing, the biggest mistake that I made that, again, it took me a while to kind of figure this one out, but I would meet people who were very successful in what they did. So let's just say this guy and he was in England and um, he actually solicited people in the U S and he had a marketing agency and he'd been incredibly, incredibly successful. And he was starting a new venture and he was looking for people to come into his new venture. That's where I made the mistake because yeah. that was not a proven system. Right. His venture, not yours. Right. And I did it more than once. Yeah. Uh, speaking thing, I did it with him until I started to recognize wait a minute, this thing that they're doing is new. So I'm just giving them money for their whim or whatever that might be. And maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. That was my biggest mistake, honestly. And a lot of the money that I waste, I, I mean, I learned from every one of them. So I can't say it was completely wasted. Um, maybe, not as, maybe not as efficient. <laughs> not, very not efficient, not efficient. The other thing is, Make sure that whoever you work with, that you have somebody that's working with the numbers. I have a really good friend who says, do the numbers and the numbers will tell you what to do. Numbers have no emotion. Right. No emotion. And we bring all our emotional baggage and our blueprints around money and all our fears and all this other kind of stuff. And that's not helpful. That's why you know having somebody to kind of work this stuff through with I've worked with a lot of financial people where we've done workshops together and I deal with the, you know, the, the, the issues, the psychology around people's issues around money. Um, but that's, I, would, I was so, I really wanted somebody to work with me on that. You know, like what, what are the metrics? What do we need to look at? How many of this do I need to do? How, and I, again, they did it for their own business. They didn't, didn't help me do it for mine. And um, let's see if there's any other really big one. Um, the other thing is be prepared when you're doing your numbers to pay for your own health insurance mm -hmm. and save for vacations because nobody's going to pay for them. Oh. And, right? And you have to lots of opportunities to vacation, but uh, right. not a lot of security for money for sure. Yeah. You have to really kind of, you know, kind of factor that in. And, you know, when I was, and for the years after I'd gotten divorced and I was single in particular, 
um, or I would always do it. I would just take the money off the top for my taxes. I'd take the money off the top. I'd put a little bit in for vacation. Um, you know, I always had the money for my health insurance, the things that, that, as my father used to say, that money's not yours, you know, yep. your taxes, it's not yours <laughs> and going to health insurance, it's not yours. So factor those things in from the beginning. And, um, and that's pretty much it. Believe in yourself. I, it's hard to, but believe in your abilities to do the work. So if you don't do good work, don't go into your own business. Usually the last part of the interview, I ask about the advice that you give to people out there that are thinking about starting a business and you turn the challenges into advice. You're definitely a teacher <laughs> at heart. <laughs> so talk about your journey and giving advice and, and, and put some thought behind it, but then also trust yourself and trust that your skills are genuine and that every time I moved and I had to start over again, I would just kind of say to myself, well, you did it once you could do it again. You did it once you could do it again. And that became, you know, because it was scary times. I would run an office with no clients. And I remember one time and exactly, um, I was sitting there with my feet up on the desk, talking to a girlfriend, you know, for an office that I was paying you know, all this money and telling her how scared I was. And she said to me something very similar. She said, it's very simple. Do you have the money to hold out until you build this thing? Or don't you? And if you don't, get a part-time job. I mean, it was just that. Yeah. <laughs> oh. The answer is right in front of you. And sometimes we need someone else to tell us that, which yeah. is why having a coach is important, which is why surrounding yourself with other like-minded individuals is so important too. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. Uh, Tina, where can, where can our audience find you and the info? Oh, we have your LinkedIn. We'll have your, your mastery under pressure site available and your book I'm sure is. Yes. Accessible. On Amazon. That's available on Amazon. Yeah. And, uh, and I have a website. It's masteryunderpressure.com. Uh, my LinkedIn profile, I'm sure you'll put on there. I've got mm -hmm. and, and a YouTube channel with my name. So Great. very easy to find and very willing to help. Well, Tina, you are a wealth of information for not only how to develop a business because you have been through multiple iterations of developing a business, but in inspiring others to think about how they can maybe do it too. So thank you for coming on the podcast today. So much, Shelby, so much fun. <laughs> any, any final thoughts to our budding entrepreneurs out there? Yes. So people ask me all the time, if you have one thing to share, um, and this is what I always share because it guides my life, what's in my control, what's out of my control. That is the key to what bring, what, you know, how we can reduce the anxiety, recognize it. Uh, what's in my control is to make a call and ask for help. Um, if I, you know, what's out of my control is how long it's going to take for people to come to me. Exactly. What a great piece of advice. And we all have to remember that as entrepreneurs, that we've got to chase it because maybe we, people aren't going to be coming to us for it. So, so true. More conversations, more networking, everything can push oh, you. One, one more thing. One more thing. Yeah. One more thing. Keep going. Because there are so many things to do. 
some of the best advice I got also was choose two, three maximum ways that you enjoy in building your business. I mean, I really love the, the giving of my skills, but if I'm doing that, I'm also in business. So there's a lot of things that I don't really love doing. So I, out of those things that I may not really love doing, what are the ones that I actually do love? Well, I use my speaking, okay, as a marketing tool. I love doing that. I, I really like networking. I really like meeting other people. I like helping other people. So that's another big networking you know, business marketing tool that I do. And those are the two biggest ones. And the rest of it, I leave to other people. That's smart. You got to stay in your lane and what you love to do as you're building the business around your passion and delegate the things that you don't want to do. Got it. You got it. I'm sure there's well, more. There's there, there is more. We could probably talk for another hour, but, uh, <laughs> We, Tina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and inspiring our audience. Um, that's for you, genius entrepreneurs out there that are thinking about starting a business. So many good pieces of advice. I'm here to help bring these stories to light to help guide you in the next direction. I invite you to subscribe to the channel and to follow me at shelbyjolong.com and uh, we can get your business started and hopefully move you in a direction where you can build a business out of your passion. So we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Culture, Communication, and Brand Moments with your host, Shelby Jill Long. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we will see you on the next episode.